Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare with more Healthy Matters. And good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to this edition of Healthy Matters. Dr. David Hilden is your host. Good morning. Good to see you. Hey, hey, Danny. How are you doing? I'm not doing well. 39 degrees. It's spring and is here, kind of. What did Jim say? The average high this time of year is like 45, and we're going to hit 50. So you might even go out for a walk. I might, I might even get outside. You can see that. You can see my grass. Yes, finally. Finally, at least on the, yeah. on the, on the front of my house. And yeah. it's, uh, it's beautiful in Minnesota in the spring. It really is. I love it. And it's, it's a little less life-threatening to just simply walk across your sidewalk. Boy, that was a crazy year. It really was. It was. I know some people who are spending, um, you know, have been in Minnesota two or three years, and I finally I told them, okay, this one, this past winter, you got a winter this time. <laughs> yeah. All the ones before that, they were they were just practice for this one. What are we going to be talking about today? We're going to talk about your intestines. Oh, well, not good. yours. Not specifically. Not specifically. Generally speaking. <laughs> not specifically your intestines. We and we are. It's Colon Cancer Awareness Month, and so. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about colon cancer today, and uh, we're going to talk about somebody who knows a considerable amount about that. We're t- I have Dr. Jake Matlock here in studio with us. He's been a guest on the show before. He is the director of our division of gastroenterology, so he heads up that group, um, which is a practice that includes inpatient care. So if you're in the hospital and you need some help from a, an intestine doctor, they do clinics, they do liver disease, and yes, they do um, endoscopy from Above and below and all kinds of fun things. They put tubes in you. Thanks for being back on the show, Jake. Dave, it's a pleasure. It's good to see you. Uh, good to see you. Yeah, uh, I, it's probably uh, uh, a, a little bit of a simplification to say that you put tubes in people. I, I don't know if you've ever had your profession described as that before. I've often described myself as a plumber, so I, <laughs> actually that's not too much of an oversimplification of what we do. Now, in your practice, you do uh, pretty much everything related to the intestinal tract, right? Uh, that's true. I, I do a considerable amount of colonoscopy uh, as well as upper endoscopy. I also do uh, endoscopic procedures to access the drainage system from the liver and the pancreas. So I'm kind of a jack of all trades. You are, but but you're um, you said the uh, the um, around the liver and the gallbladder and the pancreas stuff. That's ad- advanced endoscopy. It says in your bio that you do advanced endoscopy. Is that what you're talking about? That is what I'm talking about. So uh, there are a number of procedures that involve trying to access the drainage system of both the liver and the pancreas uh, via the mouth. Uh, that requires a little extra training and, and is a little more complicated uh, than standard endoscopy or mm-hmm. colonoscopy. But 
It's all it's all plumbing. It's all it's all it's all plumbing. You're just a you're just a plumber, huh? Yep. Um, some of the people I respect the most in the world are actual plumbers because they're so good at what they do. Agree. So, so, <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, so I think that uh, that bodes well. I think it uh, to be compared to a plumber is actually a pretty good thing. So, uh, I know where you came from, but tell our listeners um, where'd you do your training? Where'd you uh, and how'd you land in Minnesota? So I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and went to medical school there. I came to Minnesota to uh, pursue a a uh, career in general surgery, actually, at the University of Minnesota and had a change of heart uh, mid-training and came to Hennepin for internal medicine training and then went back to the University of Minnesota for gastroenterology training. Uh, I've been here ever since. And you've been here ever since. So you're a Southerner transplanted up here. Correct. Though I've lived actually now half my life in Minnesota. You're a Minnesota so, now. Yeah, I'm pretty much yeah. native. I've heard Birmingham's kind of becoming back on the um, a tourist destination. Yeah, it's become more known for the food scene. Uh, they've got a lot of nice, uh, exciting restaurants, and it's it's a decent place to visit. Is it? Yeah, I have never. I, I don't think I've ever been. I've been to the Gulf Coast of Alabama, but I don't think I've ever been to Birmingham. Well, um, we're going to talk, listeners, about mostly your colon uh, today and colon cancer. And why are we doing that, Jake? Uh, we're doing that in part because it's Colon Cancer Awareness Month, but in more broadly, we're doing that because colon cancer remains the third leading cause of cancer for both men and women in this country. And although we've made inroads into reducing the incidence of colon cancer and the mortality from colon cancer, uh, it's still a serious public health problem. Uh, and it's one that people don't like to talk about. It's, uh, it's a, a part of the body that people don't like to bring up in casual conversation. Um, there's a lot of fear and uncertainty surrounding the testing uh, for colon cancer. And we want to bring it out and talk about it. I think that's a um, it's so important to do. Um, as as Dr. Malik just said, it's um, the third leading cause. It's the third most common cause. Um, but is it true that if you find colon cancer early or precancerous lesions, which we're going to talk about, um, that it's potentially do I dare say cur- curable? Uh, absolutely, I think that it is largely preventable mm-hmm. uh, with appropriate screening. Uh, we can detect precancerous lesions, so things that are not yet cancer, and remove them, just reduce, re- eliminating the possibility that they will become cancer. And uh, in the circumstances when we find colon cancer at an early stage, it is curable. So it's incredibly important to get people in and get them screened. I remember when you and I were training, which was a, the same time, uh, colonoscopy as a screening method was just coming on. It wasn't a new procedure. I mean, everybody knew about colonoscopy. But we were still talking a lot about flexible sigmoidoscopies at the time. We were still having people do stool samples on, on, and sending them in for, uh, for hidden blood. There are a number of ways to screen for colon cancer. Uh, colon, colonoscopy seems to me to be, have become much more prevalent and maybe, maybe preferred. But, but uh, there's a lot of ways to do it, right? There are a lot of ways to do it, and I think that most physicians will t- will suggest that colonoscopy is currently the gold standard or, or the optimal screening test for colon cancer. I would argue that the optimal screening test is the one that you will do, mm-hmm. and the most important thing mm-hmm. is to get screened. And there are a number of stool-based tests, in other words, collecting uh, a small sample of stool and sending it in for a variety of tests that are acceptable screening modalities as well. Uh, again, it, it's 
what you're willing to do. What you're willing. Yeah, I suppose the test can be perfect, but if you're not willing to do it, it's not very good for you. That yeah. is correct. Yeah. So I, um, I would count myself among those who, who advocate for actually doing a colonoscopy. I know that others are, are adequate, um, but they have some, some pros and cons. Let's talk about those a little bit. First of all, for those, we're going to focus a lot about colonoscopy because I really want you to hear listeners from the person who's doing them. And that would be Jake. Um, but, but let's talk about a couple of those other ones. Um, first of all, the stool samples. Um, why not? Why, what's, what's good and bad about just sending those in? So the stool samples are uh, appealing or sound appealing because they seem fairly simple. You collect a small sample of stool, send it in for a variety of tests, including looking for blood, looking for certain uh, genetic markers in some of the stool-based testing. Uh, the actual collection process can be a little bit tedious uh, for some of them, uh, but it's accomplishable at, at home for most people. I think what most patients and many physicians actually fail to realize is that the, the uh, population of people for whom stool-based testing is appropriate is a fairly uh, – is not everyone. Uh, in other words, uh, stool-based testing is used only – for people who are considered average risk for colon mm-hmm. cancer, meaning if you have ever had a polyp, if a first-degree family member has ever had a polyp, if you have a family history of colon cancer, or if you have any bowel-related symptoms, you're really not a candidate for stool-based testing. Now, perhaps at some point in the future, they will improve uh, or be proven to be useful in those populations, but it's really for only the asymptomatic average risk individual that those tests are appropriate. Important point. And you have to do it more often. That is correct. Uh, depending on which stool-based tests you're talking about, it is anywhere from one to three years in terms of how often you do it. And if you aren't meticulous about doing it with that frequency, then the efficacy of the test really goes away. really drops. You have to do it more often. So before we get to endoscopic methods of screening, what about, I've heard, not as much in the last year or two, but I used to hear more about the, what people called the virtual colonoscopy, which is so, kind of a funny term. Yeah, so that's a, a, a CT or CAT scan-based test uh, that is used to look for uh, uh, defects in the wall of the colon. Um, if you had asked me 10 years ago if I thought that was going to go somewhere, I would have said that's going to be the future, mm-hmm. and I would have mm-hmm. been wrong. Um, the preparation for that test is the same as the preparation you do for a colonoscopy. So for people who, you know, fear the the colon prep, uh, that's really not uh, a way out. Um, And really what's become clear over the last 10 years or so is that many important precancerous lesions in the colon are flat polyps. They are a change in the texture of the lining of the colon not the contour. They're not a big mushroom sticking out. Correct. And the the virtual colonoscopy or the CT colography is the the technical term for it, uh, does not detect those at all. And and so uh, up to a third of polyps uh, are flat and so are missed by that test. So I would say that it's an option for people who have absolute contraindications to colonoscopy, but those people are very few and far between. I can't remember the last time I ordered one. 
In fact, I never even ordered that many to begin with. But I agree with you. Ten years ago, I thought, oh, well, it's going to be CTs and yeah. you're going to be out of a job. Yeah, we're going to put scanners over people and right. it's going to be Star Trek. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> and those have radiation. Correct. They have that as well. Okay, so there's that, which is I, I would argue is, is almost a non-factor. Okay, let's talk about colonoscopies. I'm not going to talk so much about flexible sigmoidoscopies, but that is a study that some people might still hear about. That's just the short little scope, right? Correct. That That is a scope that looks at the bottom half of the colon or third, depending on how aggressive the endoscopist is. Uh, again, it misses the entire top. Yeah, you're not even looking at all of it. Uh, so it's it's in combination with stool-based testing sometimes used and is still on the menu of options, but I think it's it's fading away. Okay. So we're going to go pretty pretty soon to a break here, and then we're going to talk about colonoscopy uh, and colon cancer screening using that technique. Um, after our break, we'll, uh, we'll take some listener calls. We can talk a little bit about endoscopy from above to upper endoscopy if listeners have questions about that. And we're talking with Dr. Jake Matlock, the Division Director of Gastroenterology at Hennepin Healthcare. Very good. We'll uh, take a quick break. We'll be right back. Let me give you the uh, phone number, our phone number, if you want to join in on the conversation, and the text number as well, 651-989-9226, and the text uh, number is 81807. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. Uh, Again, if you'd like to join in on the conversation, call us or text us, 651-989-9226, or text at 81807. Here again is Dr. David Hilden. Thank you, Denny. Um, before we uh, get back into the topic, which is colon cancer and colon cancer screening with Dr. Jake Matlock, I'm going to tell you about a couple of upcoming events. You might want to get a pen and pencil if you're interested either in traumatic brain injury or dermatology, two completely different things. I will say I'll tell you about them now, and then later in the second half of the show, I'll repeat that information if you want to. Um, if you're interested. We're, this is also in addition to Colon Cancer Awareness Month, it's uh, Traumatic Brain Injury Awareness Month, and we're having another event in our clinic and specialty center in downtown Minneapolis due to the um, success of the first events uh, during this month. The next one is March 28th. March 28th, this coming week at 4.30 in the afternoon, we're going to have an emergency doctor, Dr. Ashley Strobel, and the medical director of the TBI outpatient program, Dr. Min... Um, Let's see if I get this right, Dr. Min Jong Park Graf. She will be there to talk about uh, traumatic brain injury or otherwise known as concussion. That is all at the Clinic and Specialty Center on March 28th at 4.30. I'll repeat that in the second half of the show. And then if you're interested in, um, maybe you're curious about cosmetic dermatology, well, we offer these procedures at Hennepin as well. We have laser therapies, dermatology procedures, things to um, get rid of things on your face and skin that have been concerning to you. And, of course, we also talk about skin cancers. Um, And so we have another event about cosmetic dermatology on Tuesday, April 2nd. That's from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. also in the Downtown Clinic and Specialty Center. So there will be even raffles and fun things at that one. So I'll talk about those later um, as well, but you can get information about all of these at HennepinHealthcare.org. Um, for the TBI one, go to HennepinHealthcare.org slash TBI month. And for the dermatology one, go to HennepinHealthcare.org slash considering cosmetics. Okay, there's a little bit of promotional stuff that you might want to be interested in, in taking, uh, taking a look at. 
back to colon cancer and colon cancer screening. So we talked with Dr. Matlock about other screening methods. Now let's talk about colonoscopy as a screening method. And when we say screening, just to kind of make sure we're all on the same page, we're talking about looking for a disease that you don't have a symptom for. In other words, taking the general population and looking for an illness for the purposes of catching it very early when we can do something about it. That's what we say when we're saying screening. We're not talking about people who are having symptoms. If you're having your poop and blood to put a, a better or having other kinds of bowel problems, that's different. That's looking for a disease when you're having symptoms. We are talking about screening the population for a disease when, um, when you feel fine. That's what screening is. So colonoscopy as a screening tool, Jake. First of all, tell us who should, when should you be doing it? Like what age should you start? Um, and then uh, how often should you do it? Could you just kind of tell us about that? Sure. Um, so the the age at which you should start screening for colonoscopy does depend somewhat on your own personal and family history. Uh, so if you are a person who would be considered average risk, meaning that you don't have anybody in your family who has colon cancer or colon polyps, the current guidelines suggest that you should start at age 50 with screening. Now that You said suggest. Well, and I hedged a little bit there because there are some societies who are now uh, pushing to start earlier. Mm. And uh, specifically Mm. the American Cancer Society has recently suggested that uh, starting at 45 may be reasonable. And in certain populations, specifically African-American populations, it may be reasonable to start earlier because of an increased uh, uh, incidence of polyps in that that subgroup. Even earlier than – 50 or earlier than 45? At 45. At 45, yeah. As far as the frequency is concerned, again, that depends on a number of factors, including uh, how good a look the physician thinks that he or she obtained during the procedure, uh, and that can be dependent principally on the quality of the preparation, uh, what they find, uh, whether or not polyps are found, and again, a person's family history plays into whether or not we recommend closer follow-up intervals. So you've used the term polyp. What is it and what is its significance? So a polyp is a small growth uh, from the lining of the colon. It is, uh, uh, can take a number of forms. Uh, some polyps are simply a change in the texture of the lining. Uh, some are bulges or bumps coming off the lining. I, I make the analogy to moles on the skin. Uh, others are uh, actual growths that look like mushrooms with a stalk and a head. Mm-hmm. So there are a variety of different appearances to polyps, and there are also a variety of different kinds of polyps. Uh, the, the type that we are looking for when we do a colonoscopy, the type that's important, is called an adenomatous polyp or an adenoma. That's the kind that has potential, and by potential I mean can grow and eventually turn into a colon cancer. That's the, that's the kind we're looking for. That's what we care about. Can you tell by looking at them if they're this potentially precancerous adenoma? Uh, there, are, there are certain polyps that you can look at and say that's definitely a, a polyp with potential. Mm-hmm. There are others, particularly when they're small, when you look at them and you say, yeah, might be, yeah. not sure. And that's why when we do do a colonoscopy, we take off all of the polyps that we see, and then we send all of them for biopsy mm. to let the pathologists look at them under the microscope and tell us, was this the kind with potential or was it not? Either way, it's gone. It no longer poses a threat, and so we've, we've protected the patient from a future threat 
Um, I think that's what um, sometimes people don't um, remember about colonoscopies versus the other types of screening methods. So if you see something, that one's not going to be a problem for you if you have a polyp because you got rid of it. That's correct. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's kind of one-stop shopping as I tell folks. Right. You, you You come in, you get screened, and you get protected all at the same time. And that's in stark opposition to the other screening modalities where – you know, we may screen you. We may say, yeah, you have a problem, but we haven't fixed it. I mean, and that then puts you in line for a colonoscopy to fix it. When you're doing colonoscopies, do you ever run into just a frank cancer? Or are they always these little polyps, little ditzel things that might become cancer in the future? Uh, we do occasionally run across a cancer in, an, in a completely asymptomatic patient. Uh, so, again, thinking about the screening population, people who don't have any problems, uh, we run into frank cancers Less than one percent of the time, but it's it does happen. Uh, you know, we do about six thousand colonoscopies a year in our lab, and we probably run into a cancer in an asymptomatic patient at least once a month. Mm-hmm. So it's it's usually the polyps. It's usually before they've become a cancer, and I guess that's in a nutshell why you do it because you're catching them well before they become a cancer. Is it possible to generalize about how long these things take? So in other words, if you found a little polyp that's of this adenomatous type, how long do we know how long would that have taken to become a colon cancer? We have some uh, data to, to inform that. And I, what I usually tell folks is that if I do a colonoscopy for you today and I find a polyp and take it out, I'm not protecting you from something that would threaten you next week mm-hmm. or even probably next year. But I'm protecting you from something that would threaten you somewhere between three and seven years down the road. And, and again, that range depends on the size of the polyp that we find, and, and there is some variability in growth rate uh, between different uh, varieties of polyps. But it's a, it's a protection horizon that's measured in years, not weeks or months. Is that why there's a, you can wait so long between your first colonoscopy and the next one? Yeah, I think that if, if – if I find a polyp in you today and it's small and there's only one of them and you start forming a new polyp tomorrow, uh, I can safely say that five years from now uh, that that polyp that you start forming tomorrow will still be something that I can address and take out and protect you. So we have uh, screenfuls of text messages that have come in. So the listeners have a lot of questions that we're going we're gonna to really focus on in the second half of the show. Most of them are about colon cancer. There's a couple about endoscopy from above. Um, so some of you might have questions about that as well. We're going to spend most of the second half of the show having Dr. Matlock simply answer your questions. And um, so we're, uh, we appreciate those, and um, we're going to be taking a break then. Very good. But we do have another half hour of the show to go. Uh, you can call in your question, or as usual, you can send a text like a lot of folks are already doing. Here is the phone number, 651-989-9226. Uh, if it's easier, send us a text. That number is 81807. Healthy Matters returns right after the break. And good morning. Welcome to this portion of Healthy Matters on this uh, Sunday morning. Dr. David Hilden is your host. And for those that uh, maybe joined us a little bit late, uh, what's the topic today? We're talking about colon cancer, Denny. Uh, um, Good morning, one and all, if you're just joining the show. We've had a really good uh, informational session in this first half hour about colon cancer screening, why you might need to get it done, why we do it at all. 
Um, we've been talking with Dr. Jake Matlock. He is the Division Director of Gastroenterology, so he heads up the group of intestines, stomach, liver doctors, everything related to your digestive tract from from stem to stern, if you will. Uh, he specializes in disorders of the GI tract, liver, pancreas. He sees all manners of patients in um, these issues, and he has a particular um, interest in advanced endoscopy procedures. Um, and so we're talking mostly because it's Colon Cancer Awareness Month, and uh, we've got way more uh, listener questions than we're going to be able to do. But what I thought we would do for the second half of the hour is I'm going to have Dr. Matlock describe what a colonoscopy is like, what you can expect, and what he is experiencing. So what's he doing when, when you're getting one done? And then we're going to go to your questions, both by phone and text. Let me give you the phone number. We've got uh, many text messages already, but if you'd like to call in your question, 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. Thank you, Denny. And for those of you who um, were heard me talk about our upcoming events, I have a few things I just want to remind you of. Our Brain Injury Awareness Month festivities, if you will, continue March 28th, that's this coming week, at 4.30 in the Clinic and Specialty Center in downtown Minneapolis. We're going to talk about concussion, mild brain injury with people who are know the best, um, emergency physicians and directors of the TBI clinic. That's March 28th at 4.30. For information on that, go to hennepinhealthcare.org slash TBI month. Second thing is happening on Tuesday, April 2nd. It's our cosmetic dermatology event, also at the Clinic and Specialty Center in downtown Minneapolis. That's from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can talk with our dermatologists and vendors, try skin care samples, enter a raffle for, uh, for some uh, gift baskets, and you can watch a live procedure, and I don't know what they mean by that. I don't know what live procedure they're going to be doing, but... Um, so registration and details for that are at hennepinhealthcare.org slash considering cosmetics. One last little thing. I have uh, learned that on this uh, radio station yes. um, tonight, um, one of our Hennepin people is going to be on, and Dr. Helen Kim is a luminary in the mental health of, of women and um, their partners around the time of childbirth. She is the founder of our Mother Baby Program, which is an absolutely innovative an unbelievably cool program for women experiencing not only postpartum depression, but a lot of the issues that come around the time of having a new child. She ha- offers support systems for not only the mother, but the, the partner. And um, Dr. Kim's program is simply taking off in the form of the Red Leaf Center for Families, which is going to be um, launching at Hennepin in the next couple of years. I think we're groundbreaking on it this year. She is going to be on with Jerlyn tonight. That's going to be at 7.30 this evening. So um, she's going to be talking about postpartum depression and a promising new um, medication on the market. So Jerlyn Steele's program tonight at 7.30 p.m. right here on WCCO. You want to tune in for that and hear Dr. Helen Kim. Very good. Okay, back to colon cancer and colon cancer screening. Before we go to all of the text lines and the questions, Jake, tell us about a colonoscopy. Um, When you are doing the colonoscopy, the patient's dozing off and the like. Could you just kind of talk us through there? How do, how do you insert the colon, the colonoscope? How does it get five feet up there? And, um, and and just kind of talk us through what you're doing. So what we're doing is can be likened to tr- to trying to insert a piece of spaghetti into a sock. Mm. Uh, it's great. It, the colon, <laughs> your colon is. Uh, 
arrayed in throughout your abdominal cavity. It's kind of a twisty, turny path, and the structure of your colon is very much like an accordion. So it can stretch out and be compressed. And so what we're doing as we try to steer through the colon with the colonoscope is we're trying to compress the colon onto the scope, um, kind of like pushing your sleeve up your arm uh, with mm-hmm, a sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason that we do that is because it's the, the less scope we have in a person, the more comfortable they are, so the better experience it is because we're stretching the colon less. And also the less scope we have in somebody, the more control we have over what's going on at the tip. So if we find something, if we need to take something out, it's easier to do. Um, How do you take something out? You're at the business. You're not at. The, you're at the control end of it. Do you have little hooks and tools on the end of it? Or we do. There's a channel that runs through the scope, and we can insert a variety of tools. Most of which are either grasping tools like long tweezers mm-hmm. or uh, uh, what are called snares, which is basically a lasso made of wire. And so we can ensnare things in our lasso, and then pinch down on the neck of it, pass an electrical current through it, and cauterize and cut it off all in one fell swoop. We're fortunate that the colon doesn't have the type of sensors that you have on your skin, that type of nerve ending. So when we take things off, if we didn't tell you we were doing it, you wouldn't feel that. The only thing the colon can feel is stretch. Mm. Uh, and so, Not pain when you take these things off. Correct. The removal of polyps doesn't hurt. Now, There are times when we may stretch the colon and that can cause some cramping, kind of like a gas cramp. Generally, we can uh, uh, control that with medications and sedation. And uh, generally, if it does occur, it's fairly short-lived. So this is why the prep is so important for you because, you know, you're in there looking at this thing and it needs to be kind of pristine. Yeah, we most practices in town, including ours at Hennepin Healthcare, use what's called a two-stage prep where we have you drink something the night before to kind of clean out all the solid material from the colon and then drink something the morning of the colonoscopy to kind of scrub down the walls, Mm -hmm. clean them off. And the reason for that is that, as we talked about earlier, we're looking for things that can can be large mushrooms coming off the the surface but can be also subtle textural changes in the lining. And for those... You really need the lining as clean as possible. Uh, some of the things we're looking for are as little as an eighth of an inch in size, so mm. really really tiny things. You need everything really clean to see well. Lastly, um, uh, before I go to the text line, um, a lot of people tell me that after their colonoscopy, they're all gassy. Is that because of air you put in there or is that – why would that be? That is because of air that we put in there and I think that, that most of the providers uh, at Hennepin right now are using – Carbon dioxide to uh, inflate the. You know, really? That's yeah. what you're. That's that you you puff it up with carbon dioxide. Not a hundred percent of us, but but many do. And the reason for that is that carbon dioxide can be absorbed from the colon, back into the bloodstream, and then you you just you breathe it out through your lungs. It's kind of magical. Uh, and and there have been some some studies that have shown that that decreases the amount of bloating and gassiness after colonoscopy. But even for those who use air, uh, if you're meticulous about removing it and and don't overinflate the colon, then uh, most people find it's not that bad. So um, I tell patients all the time, um, it's a scary thing, I know. It's not, it might not be the most fun day you ever had. 
I got it. But it's for most people, for the vast majority of the people, it's not as not as uh, it's. They come out saying that wasn't as bad as I thought. It was. It was more the anticipation of it is worse for most people. Um, that is the almost the universal response after a first colonoscopy is that's it. That was it. Wow, that wasn't that wasn't so bad. Um, um, uh, now I'm going to go to the text line and read some of these to you. Um, this one is about that um, kind of goofy shape of the colon. Um, since we were talking about that, the texter says, "What causes are what causes, and are there concerns for redundancies or elongations in the colon I have in my ascending and descending colon?" So, a lot of people get dis- disturbed or concerned about some of the de- the descriptors that we use in our reports after a colonoscopy, because we will sometimes describe a colon as being redundant or. Uh, tortuous. Or, Sounds very judgmental. To you. <laughs> I I generally actually try not to use those terms because I don't find them terribly useful. They do tend to cause concern in patients, and they're of no clinical concern at all. They don't represent anything about your health. Um, I think that some colonoscopists put them in their reports as a, an effort to suggest to the next colonoscopist, be it them or someone else, that you know, be prepared. This this was a little tougher than than the average. Basically, what they're saying is is as we differ in all sorts of ways, humans' colons differ in their length, and yet they're all arrayed in basically the same size box in the abdominal cavity. Right. So, if you've got a slightly longer than average colon and it's in a slightly smaller than average box, it's going to have more twists and turns, and that's not a problem. I'll tell you what, we, we need to take a quick break. Let's do that. We have uh, more time for your calls or text messages here on Healthy Matters. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. Here again is Dr. David Hilden. Thank you. Straight to the text line here. Dr. Matlock, at what age can a person stop having a colonoscopy? Well, so the guidelines currently suggest uh, anywhere between 75 and 80 is a reasonable time to consider stopping. The advice that I usually give to patients is to consider, as we were talking about before, the fact that if I do a colonoscopy for you today, I'm not protecting you from something next week or even next month, but something three to seven years down the line. And so I think that when that time horizon ceases to be relevant to you based on your other health concerns is when you should stop. And for some people, that's much earlier than 75. There are some hale and hearty 80-year-olds that I would say it would be reasonable to do this. So I think I would talk to your doctor about it, but those are the general considerations I would keep in mind. I love that answer. Yeah, that's a Here's another one about taking an aspirin. It says, I have heard that a baby aspirin a day may help prevent or reduce the chance of colon cancer. I'm a 65-year-old male. have had two colonoscopy tests at age 55 and 65. They had good results. Now they say quit taking the baby aspirin. What's the story with that? So there is some data out there to suggest that taking an aspirin may uh, slow the growth of polyps in the colon. Uh, The aspirin story continues to get more and more confusing. Uh, I think we've just heard recently that for uh, older adults, uh, uh, prophylactic aspirin in some circumstances may be more risk than benefit in terms of heart disease. Uh, So again, I think that needs to be taken on an individual basis. Uh, If you're physician is advising you to, to stop taking aspirin, I think that that's a reasonable thing to do. But that's one that I would consider on a case-by-case basis. Here's one about frequency of colonoscopies. I'm going to 
put, I'm going to say about four text messages into just just one. <laughs> I'm a 70-year-old female and recently just had my third colonoscopy. There were two polyps removed that were found to be hyperplastic or benign. When should I have another colonoscopy? And several other texters are saying, when should I get my next one if I'm having them every, you know, I'm getting benign polyps removed? So the frequency of colonoscopy depends on a number of factors. Uh, for people who are at average risk, and again, that means no prior history of polyps, no family members with colon cancer, uh, with a normal colonoscopy and an excellent prep, we generally say come back in 10 years. We may recommend shorter intervals for a number of reasons. You know, if you have a family history, if you have had polyps that are of the important kind, the adenomas or precancerous kind, uh, so these hyperplastic ones that uh, the, the texture refers to would not uh, qualify for that. Or if the endoscopist, the colonoscopist, felt like there was something that compromised the view. So if they felt like maybe mm. the prep wasn't perfect uh, and that perhaps small things, things again less than an eighth of an inch um, might have been missed, they may suggest a sooner follow-up. And so I think that if if the recommendations for the follow-up interval don't make sense to you. It's worth asking. Uh, either uh, hopefully a colonoscopist explains to you at the time why they're recommending the interval that they are. But if not, ask your doctor, and, and if, if they can't explain it, then they can, they can contact the endoscopist. Here's one about diet. I eat oatmeal every morning. Stovetop, not instant. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, um, I have raisins and walnuts in it. I have heard that oatmeal is good for your colon. I like that question. Is So what about diet and what about like fibrous things like raisins, walnuts, and oatmeal? Yeah, I mean I think that, that we frequently suggest dietary fiber uh, as a uh, protectant for colonic health as well as for other aspects of people's health. Uh, a lot of people take fiber supplements like Metamucil or Citrusol to relieve bowel symptoms. But if you can get your fiber from your diet, your diet overall – improves. And so I would say it's not specifically oatmeal that's that's good for your colon. It's the fiber that's in oatmeal. So if that's the fiber source you like, keep eating it. Have at it, yeah. I like this question too. Is it appropriate to downsize the amount of prep if you're a petite little person? I wish that were true. <laughs> I thought that's what you were maybe going to say. Here's somebody who's really hoping. <laughs> yeah, I, I, unfortunately, there's there's very little that predicts how long your colon is uh, in looking at you from the outside. And as we discussed earlier, you know, if you have the same length of colon packed into a petite little box, uh, it may be the case that it has more twists and turns. So I, I would say you should stick with the full prep. All right, I tell you what, let's, uh, we, before we run out of time, let's uh, go. We have so many text messages, but uh, Peter in Richfield uh, is calling in. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter, you're on CCO. Good morning. Oh, hi. Um, I had a colonoscopy about five years ago, and they did find some polyps. They were okay, though, benign. Uh, they want to do another one. The problem I'm having lately is I get muscle spasms. And the little ones aren't too bad. It's the big one, the Charlie horse. And that would be pretty tough, I think, to do a colonoscopy with that, do you think? Or Well, I don't know that the colonoscopy uh, would necessarily affect that. I, you know, the, the preparation in particular uh, is electrolyte balance, so it doesn't really change your fluid and electrolyte status at all. So I don't think it would affect your muscle spasms as long as you stayed hydrated 
A lot of people fail to realize that even though you're drinking a big volume of PrEP, you're not getting any fluids from that PrEP. And so you do need to continue to consume fluids as you take the PrEP, continue to keep yourself hydrated, you know, with uh, either water, Gatorade juices, that sort of thing. But I don't hear anything in what you're describing that would necessarily interfere with, with proceeding with a colonoscopy. Here's someone who is texting in a little bit of an endorsement for getting a colonoscopy. I'll just read it. Um, it says, I've had colon surgery. It was very successful. If people understand that the surgery is in the colonoscopy is a walk in the park, the participation rate would go through the roof. Well, and I often tell people that, you know, whatever difficulties you may fear or perceive with colonoscopy, it beats colon cancer. It sure does. It sure does. Um, here's a text that says, what is the significance of an extra loop of bowel? I think we've kind of talked about that a little bit. Yeah, that's another one of those terms that, that colonoscopies uh, sometimes use, like tortuous and, and uh, long. They'll call a colon loopy. Um, I, I, in terms of significance for your health, there's none. Uh, it's, it's the colonoscopist complaining about their experience. <laughs> we have more text that I'm going to get to, but maybe we can get one more. Is it true that having excess gas is a symptom of colon cancer? We, uh, and we just have about 30 seconds. No, uh, excess gas does often lead to uh, an evaluation of the colon, but it is not in and of itself a symptom of colon cancer. So we are, we've been talking about colon cancer. Thanks a lot, Jake. It's been a pleasure. Great having you on the show. This is Dr. Jake Matlock, the director of the Division of Gastroenterology at Hennepin Healthcare. And here is an insider tip from me to you listening to the radio. If you want to get your colonoscopy, I can't think of a better place to do it with, than with Dr. Matlock or his colleagues. HennepinHealthcare.org or call us at 612-873-6963. It's the best GI lab in town. And next week's show? Next week's show is going to be about allergy. Ask the allergist. That's next week. All right. Stay with us. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.